Hello, everyone. Welcome aboard to Thundercourt's nonprofit digital voyage, a show where we talk about tech, social, and public good, and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Sabrina, and I hope everyone can sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If you're ready, let's set sail. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Thundercourt's Nonprofit Digital Voyage. I'm your host, Sabrina, and I'm here today with our guest, Michael Chia, Executive Director of HealthServe. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining the conversation today. So before we begin, uh, I would love to pass the floor to you um, for you to introduce yourself to our listeners, especially with your background in volunteering and your work with nonprofits. Go ahead. Thanks, Sabrina. Hi, uh, I'm Michael, so I'm the Executive Director of uh, HealthServe, as what Sabrina said. I've, I've been with HealthServe as the ED for about four and a half years, but I've volunteered in HealthServe since 2010, so it's been nearly 12 years now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm really passionate about marginalized community. I've actually um, been volunteering in all other organizations as well. Even, even today, even though I'm working in HealthServe, I still volunteer in other organizations. Um, and uh, really, the, the the idea is to really bring uh, the community right back together to, to really be able to have an inclusive society. So that that's that's my passion. That's that's what I've been doing. And and and, uh, and, and at HealthServe currently, I'm the executive director supporting the migrant worker community. Mm, thank you for that. Um, I'm interested to ask, this is only because, um, just out of curiosity, based on our interviews with uh, previous uh, executive directors and other guests, um, did you have a background um, outside of like volunteering and nonprofits prior to entering the world of nonprofits and volunteering? Oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> um, well, I, I actually started my career as an engineer. Um, so I, did mm, I see. Some MNCs for a few years, uh, deep innovations and planning, and then uh, and then realized that I could do a little bit more with uh, project management. So I went to sales after that, and I did, um, did uh, sales for nearly 12 years for the last 12 years of my career. So it was more towards a uh, um, technical uh, implementation as well as sales. Um, very much into business development, uh, nothing related to to nonprofits. Um, I see. And, yeah, and uh, I think I think for for me, what what was uh, what changed was that you know you, you reach a point where you ask, is, you know, is there more more than this? Okay, okay. So um, tell us more about HealthServe. You know, uh, I guess. Uh, to segue from that, you know, why did you choose HealthServe? And tell us more about HealthServe's history and also the mission of the organization. HealthServe is an awesome place. Uh, so, yeah, selling Koyo. But um, the, <laughs> I know HealthServe for a long time. I know the, the co-founder, right? And I've, I've, um, I've always had passion with marginalized communities. So it was no-brainer for me to just be involved. 
remember my very first time volunteering, I did, all I did was just serve a cup of water to uh, one of the migrant workers who were injured and then just sat down and I listened to his story. And I thought, wow, this is, this is so powerful, uh, what they do. Um, so I, I started volunteering with them um, since, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why did I join HealthServe? Well, uh, I, I, I guess because the, the founder asked me to join, so, <laughs> I, so I, I was invited to just uh, come in. Uh, I, I didn't really have any intention of being the ED. I, I just wanted to do whatever that was uh, available, but there, there was a need for an ED at the point of time, so I came in to do so. Um, because I, I used to run business units, I, I was a regional head for the sales and you know, running organizations and multinational companies. So it was kind of something quite similar, yet very unfamiliar. Um, so yeah, so I, I thought that I could just come in and see what I can offer and therefore I, that's why I came in. Um, and. What HealthServe has been doing and, and been doing really well was really focusing on the marginalized communities and serving migrant worker communities. So we started off as a small clinic and, and the clinic just provides, you know, the, the care, you know, medical care for migrant worker communities. And, and we realized that there are so much that the migrant worker face, the challenges that they have, and then therefore we expanded. So from a small clinic, we uh, added, you know, casework. Uh, support, financial aids, and with that, they, we realized as well that you know, there's so much um, that we need to be looking into. And so back in 2018, um, we, we were reviewing what, what, is, what, what is it like for a migrant worker to live here, what are the challenges they face, and we also realized that as a person, as a migrant worker, when they come over to Singapore, they they face all forms of, um, you know, settling into Singapore, adjusting to the new environment, adjusting to work, understanding the culture, understanding, um, you know, a totally different life, being away from family, being away mm-hmm. from their home country, being away from normalcy. And, you know, what are, how stressful that can be for, for any single person, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then living in a home where you have land to a crowded space where you share rooms with maybe 12 or 16 or 20 people. <laughs> so with men whom you do not even know. Uh, and, and so we thought, okay, the emotional and mental well-being uh, was critical aspects. Well, also in 2018, 2019, we also added on mental health and counseling. And, uh, you know, as 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 any of us know, we went through the pandemic in 2020 and we realized that, wow, that we still need to, to help to give an avenue of help for workers and therefore we started the crisis outline, the 24-hour crisis outline. So through the years, from the point where we started, we started off with just a clinic um, and then we added on the casework, we added financial assistance, uh, where we do a lot of engagements with the workers, a lot of outreach events, to then including a mental health program, to include counseling program, to include a good follow helpline. And of recent as well, we realized that, you know, we should not wait for people to fall ill and wait for them to reach out to us because mm-hmm. it may be too late. 
Um, and now we are looking into what does it mean to provide preventive care? How do we care for them before they even fall ill or when before they even get into this, you know, um, where they reach a situation where they need help? And so now we are looking towards uh, preventive models, uh, still on, still learning, still growing, still, still thinking about how can we do this better. Uh, so this is, this in a nutshell, uh, both of health stuff and what we do. Um, so our desire is that every single migrant worker that comes to Singapore gets to live a life, you know, healthy, uh, well, and then obviously mm-hmm. uh, has the ability to, you know, uh, live with dignity. And we desire for a place where Singapore is a welcoming place for migrant workers that they can actually work, live here, contribute to and also be celebrated as well. So that's that's a nutshell of food health service and what we aspire to do. Mm. So tell me more about the um, services that you provide. You know, you say you have medical help. You also have mental help um, in terms of like counseling services, right? And you also have like other social help that I read on your website. Do you mind elaborating more on that? Well, for the social health, uh, we, 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 what we do is, uh, example, we do a lot of uh, community engagements. Um, what we found was that, you know, um, the majority of the people really miss home and they, they try to form communities within the community in, in, in you know, well, in Singapore. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the social structure, we try to, um, allow them to see beyond just work and dormitories and maybe a place where you buy your groceries and, and you know, uh, uh, just maybe just a little corner where you speak with your cousins or your brothers or whatever it is, or whoever it is. Um, in, in Singapore, we wanted to, ex- we wanted to bring a, uh, a social uh, inclusion for all the workers to be able to also see who Singapore is. Um, I think that's what we do. So we do quite a bit of outreach work. We do quite a bit of engagement. Um, that was pre-COVID. Currently mm-hmm. now, after on through COVID, uh, our outreach engagement happened slightly. We we now do a lot of social element in terms of uh, um, health screening. We do quite a bit of um, this engagements with the work and all those things. Yeah, I just remember something. Actually, in our in our social, one of the examples I can give is that cooking. I think that was the most brilliant thing that uh, came out of the social work. Uh, oh, cooking? Yeah, exactly. So what happened is we got the workers to teach some of our local aunties how to cook their brownie, the special brownie that we can only find you know, in Bangladesh or in India. Right? Wow. It's and uh, and our the our you know um, aunties taught them how to cook our style of curry <laughs> and the uh, different kinds of uh, fried rice you know the kind of food um, and with the Chinese workers we actually they actually taught us how to to make dumplings mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they taught us the different kind of fillings the different kind of ingredients <laughs> so this wow. Work effort that we do, and what this, what the end desire for this is really uh, 
a bonding inclusive society where we really learn about the different culture. Um, just understanding as well, you know, the smallness of things like, you know, um, why is salt so important to you? Why is, you know, or, or, or <laughs> you know, and, and why do you mm-hmm. use ingredients and what, things like that. So it was a very interesting thing. So that's something which we do um, as, a, as part of our social work. Um, so talking about the pandemic, right? You know, you said that um, engagement has sunk a bit. Um, tell me more about how the pandemic impacted your uh, service delivery, because um, from what I read, I understand that you had several before this. You had several like clinic uh, locations, but they have been closed uh, during the lockdown, right? And now you have one clinic left, which is in Geelong. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, when when circuit breaker uh, happened, actually it started even way earlier. For us, it was Dawson Orange, seventh of February. I recall the state really clearly, where mm-hmm. you know a very very much a volunteer base of organization. A lot of our volunteers come from you know the medical professionals, the schools, uh, the tertiary education students, uh, and corporates, right? Mm-hmm. And when uh, Doscan Orange happened, we lost about 95% of our medical uh, volunteers. So we decided that we still need to open. So we decided to pivot everything to just scale up. We put all our resources into just scale up and we, we remain skeletal crew and open as best as we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then therefore we closed uh, our Mandai clinic as well as our Jaranapan clinic. Um, and, you know, halfway through, we realized too that a, a lot of the medical doctors really want to work. It's just that they were not allowed to come on site. So what we did was every, um, where the doctors will dial in, we use Zoom, and uh, they, they will check, and the workers will come to our clinic, and we will get medical students to come and support. So the medical students will be on site, uh, ah. Home, and then they will do the prognosis and diagnosis. They will do the, the, you know, they will check on the workers and and uh, the person who can support the doctors who's who's on the other side, you know, by ensuring the the BPs are correct, um, ensuring that you know some of the, um, uh, yeah, if there are any lumps or anything like that, you know, they just just those checks and all this kind of thing. Uh, and we we pivoted with that and we ran with that. So we had like. Four to five doctors that can do this virtually uh, at their home, and then on our side, we've got medical students who come on site to help us to <laughs> to run. Uh, we get medical students to help on our dispensing, uh, or you know, pharmacy students or, or and and or, or people. So the community just came in. Uh, it was a very difficult time because we didn't really have a lot of resources, but we did. You know, we tried to think on our feet, and so that's what we did. So we actually managed to keep our clinic uh, and managed to actually support the workers uh, through this. And when circuit breaker started, that was when HealthServe really changed our our areas where we, we supported as well. That was when we realized that we needed to go into the dormitories, we needed to go into the uh, recovery facilities, we needed to be in the hospitals, and we so we actually uh, from there uh, decided to uh, spread ourselves into different areas 
And that was when HealthServe, uh, how we uh, contributed to the areas where we were part of was that we actually um, uh, explained to a lot of the um, uh, stakeholders on the ground about you know, the proper context, the language, the fears, the concerns, what does the worker, what, what do they really need? Um, if they are not responsive, it's not because they don't want to be, sometimes they really don't understand what you're saying, they may be just not mm-hmm. happy, but they don't really know what you're asking. And how do you, do you communicate? How do you bring out, you know, the, the, um, and, and we started bringing in volunteers that speak the language to be able to communicate with them, to be able to encourage the workers on site. Uh, yeah, so that was all the things that we did during that time. So from a clinic, uh, medical clinic perspective, we closed two of our clinics because we don't have the number of resources and we came to Gela. And then when circuit breaker happened in April, we, we reduced our capacity even further for Geylang Clinic because workers were just not allowed to come out and we actually went out every single uh, where the workers were and so that was what we did during the pandemic and how we shifted and being as agile as we could be during this pandemic. I'm interested with that system that you had with the telehealth services because when I was reading about it I was like um, I was confused as to how um, you could help like remotely, so I mean, uh, it's interesting to hear about you know how you have the medical students to assist. How do you come up with like that system? Who you know suggested it, and how effective was it for the telehealth service? Uh, well, we we, uh, we we were quite blessed. We had a, a medical doctor, uh, Doctor Benjamin Kwan, who joined us as a who, who is actually the deputy ED and the head of medical services. He, mm-hmm. together with uh, Doctor Jeremy Lim, who is our vice chairman, uh, actually came up with such an idea. And and I think MOH was gave us the you know support uh, almost immediately as well. So I think we that was how we just started and uh, and. How effective is it? It's mm-hmm. relatively effective, actually. It's it's been good. We we in fact uh, continued this telehealth system um, only up to recently. That we actually now um, recently we went back from you know uh, endemic model to back down to the Doscan yellow, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Only recently did stop this telehealth system. Um, the the only the only downside or the drawback is that sometimes the workers feel a little bit uncomfortable talking to a doctor who's on the other side, uh, seeing just a screen in a you know a, a computer. But, oh, I see. Uh, we yeah we just try to allay the concern by having at least a, a, a medical student beside. Them. They are, they are learning more and more about it. They are starting to accept it a little bit more. Um, but it doesn't mean that they. If you give them a preference, they will still prefer to speak to someone face to face. Oh, that's interesting. I, I I definitely didn't expect that. Um, so let's talk about the HealthServe helpline because um, it's one of the services that came out of the pandemic as well, right? Um, as a product of digitally transforming your services. Um, I'd like to hear more about the inception of the helpline and especially about the pros and cons of the services uh, that you've discovered so far? Uh, well, you know, we, 
we started the helpline because we saw a great need. Uh, the great need was because there were a lot of workers. Uh, they were confused. They were not sure about what to do. They don't really know where to get help. And that during that point of time, they were still under severe lockdown, right? And uh, mm-hmm. they, 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 they were not able to go out. Um, so what we did was we decided to have this crisis helpline. And the crisis helpline that we do is not just a mobile phone. It's not just one person carrying a phone, uh, which everyone thought it was. Uh, it was really a system that we created. Uh, it's it's actually uh, developed together with Thunderbird in that we have a case management system. We allow uh, people to log in to write the case notes and to also understand uh, do we see any trends of the concerns on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And and to also enable uh, staff and volunteers to be able to to, to work simultaneously. Um, so we actually did this uh, cloud-based telephone system. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, I think I think you're probably the one, the rare few, but it's not the first few to really uh, do this system. It's, it's really very new. Uh, we enable every single volunteers to be able to uh, volunteer from home or anywhere that the anywhere in the world. In fact, as long as they have a laptop and a Wi-Fi. Uh, mm-hmm. and like. And so how does this work? Um, when the worker calls us in calls system, then uh, they, our, our team member and the volunteers, they will answer the call through the mobile phone, uh, through the, sorry, through the laptop. Um, how effective has it been? It has, has done really well for workers who were really confused during the point of time. Their anxieties generally uh, stands on the health when they catch COVID, what to do, how to do, what happens to me, what, where do I go from here, uh, where do I get my results, you know, they're just anxious to know, and, and I think they just don't know where to find it. So I think that's, uh, that's the, uh, those are the things that they call us on. Um, we started the helpline because we also know that the self-harm and suicide rates in Singapore was relatively high amongst migrant workers and we really want to be an avenue of help, be at a place where they can actually seek help uh, should should they need to speak to somebody. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so, uh, so I think to answer the question of how if effective it has been, uh, if you go and ask currently, we, we have actually heard of workers to call us and to thank us for you know, just being available, being present, um, being a resource for them to understand what happens and where they go. I think that kind of makes our day, right? I think that, you know, actually the help items, the team members and everyone else were just there when they just needed someone to talk to. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, like, um, the pros and the cons of, like, the system, you know, as opposed to, like, a face-to-face where they reach out to you for help? Um, at the clinic itself. Yeah. So the, uh, obviously the pros is that you know um, they can just call us any time of the day, mm-hmm. um, at night or you know, like six seven a.m. Where majority of our calls comes in, um, and not needing to wait the next day. Mm-hmm. The uh, 
the challenge is that, you know, to every phone call, as sometimes you know, you can't see the other person on the other side. And you don't really know how is he responding to the situation and circumstances that the person facing. So you need to really ask the right questions. You need to listen very well. You need to be able to understand uh, or try to comprehend what the person is going through and, and just be available, right? Um, so that's the downside of every every crisis helpline or, uh, or support that you provide. Um, I I think uh, if there were if I were to be able to have you know uh, a, a, a wish, it would really be that you know uh, we allow a crisis helpline uh, you know be, be Having a crisis helpline will enable the uh, the relationship to be formed and built, and then allowing the, the worker to then come to our center to then meet us face to face, where we can actually mm-hmm. speak to to them, you know, uh, yeah. and, and build this uh, relationship and build a community. So I, I wish we would not just end there. Where it's like just give you a help to you, but actually my desire is that you know I could just bring it a little bit further, um, bring them in, get them to a community, develop this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also uh, I think a cu- a question just came to mind, like um, because we deal with migrant workers, I'm sure uh there are issues, there are sometimes issues about like. Um, language barriers you know like uh, how do you overcome that or has that not been like a a big issue with like helping them yeah it's, it's, it's still a big issue Sabrina uh, but we try to get people who speak the language so it can help them I was just telling people we have one of the most uh, you know uh, our team members we have people from Bangladesh we have India, we have people from mm-hmm. Philippines, we have people from Vietnam, we have Malaysians, we have Singaporeans, um, we have people who speak Tamil, Telugu, Hindi, Bengali, Vietnamese, Burmese, we actually have people who speak Burmese, we have people who speak Thai, uh, mm-hmm. Mandarin obviously, and so it's quite diverse. <laughs> uh, we have, you know, we have our youngest team member is 27 years old. Our oldest team member is 68 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, mix of, uh, an equal mix actually of uh, guys and girls in our, in our, uh, in our team. So we, we believe in, in real great diversity and I, I believe in diversity and I believe that it is in this uh, inclusivity and being diverse we are able to serve you know the the community better especially the migrant workers because the migrant workers come from very diverse background as well just because they're from india doesn't mean they understand one another from india as well right so mm-hmm. we, we know there are such things and we we try to be available for them uh for that and if at any point of time uh, our team members are not available, we, we actually get volunteers that speak the language, they understand the culture, they understand the uh, the context of what the person is telling us, speaking about, uh, and we we engage volunteers who are able and available. Um, and the last last usually this is what we do: we try to find mediums that 
that cuts across languages. So, example, mm-hmm. even using uh, example art, sports, um, music as as the different medium channels to be able to just engage, speak, and build relationship because these are the different channels that we can actually uh, reach out to the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so we. we Try all means uh, as best as we can to to engage, uh, and we know for a very fact that the workers try their very hardest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another uh, issue that another concern I'm sure uh, about digitalizing your services was that you you must have expected uh, some form of digital divide, right? Because um, I guess accessibility to uh, digital devices might be more limited among migrant workers as opposed to a typical Singaporean. So how did that affect your digital transformation and your changes in service delivery? Yeah, um, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, every single migrant worker will need to have a smartphone because they need to have an app called uh, FWMOM Care app and the SG Work Pass. So they need to download both apps to be able to just move around Singapore and work in Singapore. Mm, I see. Uh, kind of enable us to reach out to them through digital means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge is really to know what the worker, uh, how they receive information with using their mobile phones. Some really just use it as as a tool to get to where they want. Some really use it to watch videos all the time. Some really use it to really engage with their families. Um, so digital transformation among the micro workers, they're, they're adopting it really very fast. They're in fact, mm-hmm. adopting it really well. Um, for our challenge is really trying to engage and reach them because as you know, in every digital strategy, I, I mean, I came from an engineer background, um, the connectivity and just getting the people to understand the, the usability as well as the need and wants is one of the hardest things. So uh, I don't think uh, it is difficult to to, to, uh, to get digital transformation amongst the micro workers. Um, it may take more effort in terms of educating them on specific uh, digital programs or app or you know the needs of certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a lot harder to just try to get them excited about the engagement in the, the uh, app that we want to introduce if that means. Okay. Um, So, I I can't help but notice that um, when I was researching about the migrant workers in Singapore, uh, is that during the pandemic they faced even more stigma um, against them, especially because um, migrant workers make up a majority of the COVID cases in Singapore, right? Um, I wonder how did that affect your mission in bridging communities together? Uh, I think we brought out quite a few things. The best and worst of people, I think. Uh, but one of the silver lining is that everyone started to realize that you know um, 
that the challenges that the migrant worker face are, are uh, just so different from what Singaporeans face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually brought awareness about wow, some of the living conditions are really very not what Singaporeans imagine it to be, right? I think all, yeah. all is good, it's good over the head. And then, uh, so I guess the positive thing that came out from it is that people, uh, most people in Singapore feels that something needs to be done and uh, they should not be allowed to continue living like this you know, or, or not having the rights as a person. And I think the general consensus is everyone said that something needs to be done. Um, I guess the challenge right now is how much and how far. Uh, and I guess that's where we continue to come in, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. the changes that is starting to work, uh, you know, the implementations of policies and all those things are really moving in the right direction. Those are really wonderful things. You know, with Ministry of Manpower forming ACE, ACE Medical, having the, um, having the new uh, six-sector medical clinics just for the migrant communities, um, uh, creating a lot of the emphasis on the, you know, their mental well-being count too. And they are that also, you know, the living conditions uh, should be looked into, evaluated, the safety and all those things. So those are really wonderful things. Um, from from the government's movement, um, mm-hmm. I think can be you know whether we should continue to uh, advocate for our communities, more of them to come alongside, um, and to really embrace the changes that we really want to see together. What do we see as a future Singapore? How do we see an inclusive Singapore uh, look like? where the people, the communities, and, and everyone sharing the same space and and being able to respect each other's space. Even though it's, you know, I know Singapore is small, but uh, there are always places that we can always share. Um, but those, those are the things and thoughts that I have. Um, mm-hmm. Stigma days, uh, or, or, you know, in terms of um, pre-COVID, I think people really feel that migrant workers are separate from Singapore totally. Uh, I mean, they, they, if you go into the bus, you see migrant workers coming into the bus, you can see the people just try to shut them away. They, they move away. They, they don't want to be... I, I've had friends who say they're just so smelly all the time. I don't want to engage them. They're always you know, sparring all the time. Um, but what can you expect a person who works under the sun, under construction, hard labor? Yeah. What smells nice when it comes to hard day's work? Uh, but those are the work that is necessary, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then how do we allow a community then to realize that, hey, they are really part of the community. They are really part of building Singapore. They are really part of the fabric that, you know, uh, shapes, you know. Uh, so these are the, uh, I think we're moving there. Um, do I wish that we can move faster? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Do I see resistance? I do on some level. Um, but I'm an I'm, I'm optimist. Uh, I'm, I'm always an optimist. And I believe that, you know, um, 
the work continues and so we continue to just champion what we believe that is the right thing a more inclusive Singapore society that really embraces one another and, and really see the, the the strength of each other's uh, you know presence being in Singapore mm-hmm. that's uh, that's very inspirational thank you for that um, so what are some potential projects or like collaborations that maybe you and Helter are looking forward to in the future, I wonder? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we are, as we mentioned, we really want to build a society, right? So yeah. we, we trying to do training, we are trying to equip some of the, the, the uh, workers about some skill sets, you know, uh, and, and projects on that. So we call them support leaders. But I, I just realized that, you know, rather than just having training the workers, the, the best way of allowing them to, to really develop their skills is to really have them be exposed to the communities and that, that's where I think they can value it to Singaporeans as well. Um, so we're, we're trying to do some pilot programs about uh, how do we build a resilient community uh, a mixture between migrant workers and Singaporeans example you know, having a, a shared garden space we, we, we spoke about this quite a fair bit uh, we did very mm-hmm. small pilot projects here and there we are hoping to start something with the dormitory where they have a lot of land <coughs> uh, near the northeast part region of Singapore and then they, they have the part where they can you know where the community can do their you know uh, gardening and the workers can also share their skill set because most of them are gardeners back home. They you know what plantation really looks like at that very different mm-hmm. level. Uh, and, and how do you work and, and grow together and, and um, be a support and a leader uh, of such things together. So these are the small projects that we're starting and as you can see, it's a very, very community. The second one we're looking into is really, um, you know, not wanting to to uh, um, well, out of COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, we realized that the migrant workers actually have two other areas of concern from us. One is the oral hygiene, second mm-hmm. of the migrant workers. So we continue to pursue this. We want to provide uh, affordable dental care for the migrant workers. Today, um, we. Our clinic, our dental clinic, have a four months wait list just to see the, the migrant workers to to support them on to their dental care. So we are looking to whether we can expand something, uh, the medical clinic to allow you know more workers to be treated and helped. Second one is on the chronic disease that the you know the the, the workers, some of them suffers from some chronic disease uh, while because of their lifestyle. And living here and working here and so how do you provide such treatment how do you provide some care uh, those are the things that we are looking into uh, we realize that it's not easy for them to come to us because they're always working they're always uh, busy uh, so we wish to be able to go to them we, mm-hmm. we wanted to bring uh, 
volunteers who are willing to come alongside to just go and go to their dormitory to see that they're okay, make sure that they're taking their meds, <laughs> having a call with their doctors to make sure that everything's fine and things like that. So those are the, that's the second one. So, um, and then uh, the, the third one that we are really promoting is always, you know, uh, uh, mental health and mental well-being of the migrant workers. Um, so we are looking into developing uh, new content, new cultural uh, based content for the workers to really see and be able to um, to hopefully, uh, you know, uh, yeah, be, be well. The, the word I want to use is treatment, but I, I don't think that's the right word. But at least mm-hmm. in terms of mental health program, to be able to help them. Uh, um, manage their emotions better, to help them understand that some level of stress, anxiety, fears, concerns, those are very different and how do you address them individually or separately and not uh, lump them all together. Um, things like that, yeah. So those are the new things that we're doing uh, and mm-hmm. these are the few things that we can add for the next uh, one year, essentially. Alright, um, so... I guess that's my final question for you. So before we end uh, this episode, do you have any final remarks you want to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, it doesn't take a lot from us just to do uh, good. Um, it really mm-hmm. just availing ourselves, even though if it's just half an hour a day, you know, I'm sure most of us can avail ourselves for even just 30 minutes. Um, I, I really encourage everyone to just come up and, and do uh, a, a little bit goes a long way if all of us come together to do the group, you know, for Singapore. Um, that's, that's, that's always been what I desire to see. I, oh, I have a question, one final question. If there are anyone uh, if there's anyone who wants to join Health Serve as a volunteer, where can they sign up? Yeah, um, there, there are two ways. One is please write to us uh, at volunteers at healthserve.org.sg or you can go to our website, there's a volunteer page that you can just fill out the form and our, our team will actually get back to you. Um, there are just so many things that we can do together, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, examples like just going to the dormitories, talking to the workers, ensuring that they're okay. That's just one of the key things. And or uh, if if that is a little bit too challenging, come to our clinic. We actually have uh, we have always need for people to serve alongside our, our medical clinics, our dental clinics. Um, we need quite a few dentists recently because you know of our wait list that we have, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, two things. So. Uh, Write to us or, or go to our website, uh, and, or, or well, if you can't, you just can just call me as well. <laughs> so, number, <laughs> I think. <laughs> All right. Um, and with that, we've reached the end of our episode. Thank you again to Michael from HealthServe for the sharing session today. Thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in. We hope that you learned a thing or two today, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.
And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a whole lot to us. You can also head over to our website at thunderquote.org to gain access to our free digital resources. See you next time.